Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to Navigating the Intentional Life. This is episode four. Number four, I am Justin Copeland. I am the founder, creator, and host of the podcast. And just want to say and state how excited I am about this particular podcast today. The entire journey for this mindset, the idea behind navigating the intentional life has been one solely birthed from the concept of we as men leading from the front, taking on the responsibility and role for our families, for our friends, for our communities, whether that's, you know, in our job setting, whether that's in our hobbies, whether that's just out and about stepping up and saying, this is the moral foundation that we have and striving to impact the worlds around us, no matter how big, no matter how small they may seem, in a way that is lasting, that leaves a legacy with every person that we touch. And in today's times where there's a lot of confusion, I think there's a lot of misinformation put out in regards to what we look like as a country and where it's going when really the majority says, no, we are unified. We are a group of people that at the end of the day, we do want to do what's best for ourselves, for our communities and, and for our country overall. And so that was the mindset in starting navigating the intentional life was something that obviously for myself, I said, you know, I need to do more. I need to utilize God-given abilities to the best of my extent and leave something for my sons. I mean, the best way to lead, as old as the cliche may be, is through our examples. So this podcast is that mechanism for me to lead as best as I can, by example, through my limited and tiny brain power and knowledge uh, to share with, with anybody that will listen. And so when I started mapping out the kinds of, of people that I wanted to, to talk with, that I wanted to spotlight their stories and what they're doing, this guest that I have on today was somebody that immediately I thought, yeah, that's, that's who I want to bring on. If you haven't listened to any of my posts, my rambling posts on my social media, my guest today is the one and only Jeremy Cooley. Good morning, Jeremy. Great to have you on, buddy. Good morning, Justin. Uh, how's it going? It's great, man. I, I know we've talked a lot over the last few weeks about having you on. And, you know, for myself, I'm going to share a little bit of a backstory in regards to you and, and to me. So, Jeremy and I actually were high school uh, friends. We graduated from Bartlesville and, you know, Jeremy was somebody that didn't always run in the same circles all the time, but he was somebody that no matter where we were at, that I saw that he's a guy that just, man, he made you feel good about yourself. Uh, always a little bit goofy, got a big old smile that promotes that. And just overall, a dude that I always thought, you know, hey, I see Jeremy. I'm definitely saying hello. We always had good laughs. Um, but, you know, from high school, 
our lives took us very different directions. And I will say the, I don't want to say the bigger portion, but a good portion of the podcast today is going to be about the direction that Jeremy went that started in high school. And probably realistically, he'll correct me in saying that it it started well before high school. But the direction that he took was vastly different. And in that time frame, you know, as society grew with social media, the extent of our relationship, I think, stemmed for both of us from kind of checking in on the social media. I'd see things that he is posting. And, you know, I think that's the downside to our social media is I'd see what he was posting and go, okay, I know what Jeremy's up to. Instead of doing the thing that realistically I wanted to do or should have done, and that was pick up the phone, give him a shout, see what's going on. I think we're all a little guilty of that. But in that, you know, kind of watching his growth unfold through what he was posting on his social media, obviously the the path that he took is one that, man, it's it's not easy. It is challenging in ways, especially now that I myself am not going to speak on. I wouldn't dare do that. I'm going to to allow him to dive into that. But Jeremy, if you'll bear with me before I get started with you in that same vein, I do want to shed some light on some upcoming things that I think people should definitely check out if you are in the Bartlesville area coming up on Saturday, June 26th at 11 a.m. H1214 Ministries is doing Worship in the Park to Love and to Be Loved. That is put together by my friend and his family, Ian Griffith. You can check them out on Facebook, either under Ian Griffith on Facebook or the H1214 uh, tag for Instagram and for Facebook. This is a free event, guys. This is live music, full band, that is honestly at the core and the foundation meant to provide you and your family and friends a place to go to hang out for free, to listen to some quality worship music, and to be around a group of people that honestly, they just want to show everyone, hey, we love you regardless of where your station is in life. And in that, you know, if you have questions about faith, if you have questions about where you need to go next to maybe take that first step to change your stars, they're out there for you. So check them out. I'm very excited for the things that they have going. And, you know, that again is, is Saturday, June 26th at 11 a.m. out at Sooner Park in Bartlesville. Head out there, take your friends, take your kids, take your family, and enjoy some live music. And then, of course, at Jeremy Cooley on Instagram, I want you to check him out. He has some good stuff on his Instagram page as well. I have said in the past that this podcast is not meant to be a religious one, but I will say on that I have misspoke in this sense. It is not a podcast that I'm going to sit back and and preach my faith to you. I wouldn't dare do that. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the the capacity to do that with the exception of this. 
it is somewhat a religious podcast in the sense that I am a man of, of faith. I do believe in God. Now I have different ways of practicing my faith. Um, and I will always gladly field any questions to the best of my ability. And the one thing that I can tell you that I will do without a doubt is if you do message me, if you do come to me, I can point you in the right direction to somebody like Jeremy, to somebody like a Joshua Don, a Caleb Gordon, uh, and anybody else that I can utilize as a resource to help you. I would be glad to do that. That would make my heart full uh, because again, this is, this is not necessarily a religious based podcast, but I'm not going to denounce or deny my faith through it. This is an open door and, and, and mechanism for anybody that decides to listen, regardless of what side you fall on. That said, Jeremy, you know, man, like I said, we, we've talked about this and getting you on the podcast and man, I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited that this day has come and that we're going to get to dive in to, to your story and, and how this all started. So just on the onset, why don't you give us a brief bio about you, where you've been, where you've come from and, and what you're doing? Yes. Um, Justin, brother, man, thank you, one, for letting me uh, be on the podcast. I absolutely love uh, the idea, the concept of what you're doing and that the, you're creating a platform to help other men, other people um, try to live intentionally um, because it's not something that I don't believe was ever really taught. You know, we learned about it later on. So thank you for this op- opportunity. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, yes, let's start with a quick bio for those who don't kind of know me. Yes, like you said, we grew up, uh, I actually lived in Dewey, which is just a neighboring si- uh, town, not a city, a neighboring town of Bartlesville. And, um, but went to Bartlesville schools, uh, went to church in Bartlesville. So all my, my circle of friends and influences uh, were in Bartlesville. Um, you being one of them, like you said, like we didn't run in the same circles really outside of school. But inside of school and stuff, like, man, we were friends and we'd see each other and uh, uh, all that kind of good stuff. And um, so my mom was a teacher. My dad uh, worked for Coca-Cola. Then he worked for a nonprofit, um, raised going to church at First Wesleyan. Uh, I absolutely loved my experience there. Um, and I, I've had um I've had a really kind of a blessed life. I mean, not our, our family life and my life wasn't perfect by any means, but I, I do believe that I was raised uh, in an environment not a lot of people may have experienced in the fact that um, my family, as messed up as we were, like I always knew that I was loved. Right. And that's huge. Because there's a lot of people that, and I, I don't even think it's parents obviously don't do this intentionally, but I, I knew a lot of people growing up that it kind of looked like the love was conditional, you know? Um, sure. um, if I made bad grades, my, my parents still loved me. Now, I still got in trouble and all that kind of stuff too, but I, I knew I, my, my dad was religious about always letting me know that he loved me and he was proud of me. Those are huge. Um, cause a lot of people go through their childhood wondering, do they still, am I loved? Are you proud of me? Like if I do, if I don't get good grades, do you still love me? If I don't make the team or I don't do well at this, do you, do you still love me? And, 
And people were asking those questions. And I think my parents were intentional about that from the start, which like you said, like it didn't start just in high school. I mean, it started back in middle school for me. Um, but I wasn't going off my own intentionality. I was living off of other people's, if that made sense. Absolutely. Uh, they yeah, were, I think, I think to yeah. jump in on that, if you don't mind. Yeah, go for it. I think a lot of people think that, you know, a story is, is a story if they did come from those hardships. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's not the case. We all have those things growing up. Our, nobody's home life is perfect. Yeah. And in our bubble, in our town, we were very blessed. As you said, we were very fortunate because I did have the similar experience of man, my home life behind closed doors. It was crazy at times. Yeah. But my parents were doing the best that they could. Yeah. And, and, and look, let's, let's be real here. My brother and I did not make it easy. <laughs> I mean, God bless my parents because they they gave us that foundation. I went to Bartlesville Southern Baptist from the time that I can remember early on until I got into my teen years when things started to get a lot more hectic, whether it was, you know, just the amount of activities that that my brother and I did. And mm-hmm. so that started to fall off. But my parents were they volunteered in their church they were Sunday school teachers, you know, and that was an example that they set for me. And to your point of, you know, you, you knew you were loved. I can tell you right now for all of you parents out there and non-parents, this doesn't matter when it comes to your kids or kids in general, the one thing I can guarantee you that kids know, they know love. Mm -hmm. So if you're worried about, you know, how much money you're making, if you're worried about these external kind of superficial things, we all are. We want the best for our kids. But the, the foundation that you should focus on and build the most is the one that is that love that you wrap around them because that's what they see. That's what they know. And for you, Jeremy, I mean, your parents were there for you in that regard. Mine were as well. And, and I really just wanted to hit on the fact that Honestly, you know, I guess a shout out to Bartlesville. It gets a it gets a bad rap sometimes, even from myself. Yeah. But man, that was a community that it was great to grow up in as a kid, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and then it was different for us when we were kids than it is for kids now, too. I mean, my parents weren't the only ones that parented me, you know, uh, my friend, my friend's parents parented me, you know, I got in trouble by them and I got talked to by them. And, um, I learned about, uh, <laughs> I learned about the birds and the bees, uh, from Josh Quigley's mom, um, <laughs> in eighth, in like eighth grade or something. Cause she came to our school and she was a, she was in, in uh, a nurse. And so she taught, uh, a bunch That's of students right. about that, and I learned from them. But his, Josh's parents, uh, Josh Quigley's parents, his also were also um, my Sunday school teachers, you yeah. know. And um, but the thing is, is every time um, that we would go over to the house, like they were parents to me too. Uh, Jason Flick's parents were parents to me, you know, and all these and and Chris Mueller and Mike Hughes, like their parents were my parents, you know, and. And that's just kind of the culture we lived in too, which was awesome. And I love that. Um, 
Yeah, what a great bunch of people that was that you just named off. Like, dude, as you're saying that, I'm just like heavy hitter. Oh, there's another one. There's another one. Yeah, uh, yeah, and Jeff with Jeff Poe. Those were those were my like. That's my crew growing up. Like, that was the circle that I ran with, and that was a blessed circle. Now we we (laughs) we had our issues that we worked through. We had our problems that we worked through, like anybody um, growing up. um, We we may not have had some other people's struggles you know sure um but we had our own and sin is sin you know whether uh, we struggled a lot more with it's ours wasn't like oh we went out partying last night or we went out with it you know it was but we were you know we struggled with being judgmental we struggled with not being intentional about like loving others and including others and, and things like that but but we were kids you know and we we grew together and that was pretty cool to see happen um, but anyways, um, but from a kid, though, I was living off of my parents' intentionality. I was living off of my pastor's uh, intentionality um, and things like that. So that's what kind of carried me through. Uh, and like the, the Jeremy that you saw, like the, the one that was always uh, obviously the big goober, that was probably more me. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but and I was I was. Um, but like the kindness, the, the excitement, the encouragement, man, a lot of that was just fed to me by other people that were intentional. So, uh, praise God for them in my life. Like you talk about our stories, like my story doesn't, I'm not the main character, even in my own story. Like I've had other people pour into me and, and things like that as well, which, which is amazing to have, which, which is why it's important to, uh, you know, who, who you let pour into you. Yeah, I love that. That's, that's a huge thing that you said. And I, I don't want that to go without being heard in, in that we kind of said, you know, the heavy hitters that you mentioned so much of our story, we can say our parents are the foundation for it. I always look at it like this. Our parents are that foundation, but honestly that external world that I think they, they help create around us it's typically those outside influences. And this is, I guess I should, I should be more specific in that it was the case for me. You know, yeah. the, the, the parents that I was around, the friends that I was around, because everybody that you just mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, everybody that you just mentioned, obviously growing up in a small town, I know. Yeah. And, and a lot of them had, very close and at times intimate relationships and as it goes growing up you 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 have these phases with friends right where you know like Jason Flick and I used to hang out quite a bit and then that kind of dropped off because I'll tell you this and this is kind of the, one of the questions that I wanted to while we're in this time frame of life kind of walking through that high school age range is when my walk started to fall to started to fall off was probably around 16 i was still going to church but not not often now i want to say this and i and and i know you and i have talked about this in the past the church building is not what makes your faith yeah the church building is not what makes you have a relationship with christ that is solely on you but you should look at the church building almost like the gym. 
because you're going to go to the gym to get your workout in. You're going to go to the gym to flex that muscle that you're wanting to work on that day. But you're also surrounding yourself with like-minded, same motivated, you know, kinds of people that are only going to help you grow in that cause. And I, I think it's important to stress that because here's why, Jeremy, and I know you see this far more than I do. So many people think that church, the building, impacts their walk or their faith. And that can be true, but that's not the baseline. And for me, when I was 16, I started to get caught up in hypocrisy and and wearing two different masks. Because I had a sect of friends that, some of the ones you mentioned, I had been a Christ follower. I had been Christian and walked the walk and talked the talk. And then that started to change. And that got me, right? Mm-hmm. That, that really ate at my spirit because I was saved. I knew what I was supposed to be doing. I still had that compass, right? God was still there going, <laughs> hey, guy, maybe not, you know? But at 16, I started to fall off. And so for me, that's the route that I took. With you, again, we have the same struggles. We're, we're, we're human. So in your walk through high school, when was it that you realized either one, that your faith was really being tested? And in that, when do you remember the first time you said, sorry, enemy? You're not getting this guy. You know, you're not changing this. When, when was that first moment for you? Well, and honestly, that came at different levels, if that makes sense. Like, because obviously there's different levels of my maturity through life. Um, I, again, just because of my f- f- being so fortunate of the, the circle that I was around, because I was in church um, the building, you know, I was, like you said, like, there's a huge difference, um, between, uh, going to church and being the church. And that's the biggest misconception that we as believers have is like, well, I go to church. We're like, okay, well, are you being the church? Cause that's God calls us the church. He didn't call right. a building the church. He calls his people, the church. And, and so you're spot on with that. And, uh, and we struggle with that, you know, and another great analogy, uh, uh to go with yours with the, the gym is like, um, it was like school. Like I could have stayed home by myself and tried to read these books and make sense of this. And, and the same way we can stay at home and read the Bible and make, try to make sense of it the best we can. But when I go to school, I'm having someone teach it to me and I'm learning from other people around me because you may ask the teacher a question that I was like, oh, I didn't even think of that. That's a great question. So I'm, we're learning from each other. We're encouraging each other and empowering each other. And then when we do group stuff together, and so it's the same thing with spiritually. It's like, yeah, I can sit home and read my Bible and have a relationship with Christ. Absolutely. But it's when I go to church, though, is that I actually interact with other people and I learn more and I grow. And, uh, you know, it's just being together. Like God never created us to do life alone. Right. He never, he never did. And I still think the enemies, the number one thing that the enemy loves to do with any situation is to make you feel alone. Um, but anyways, 
to get back on track with that, um, uh, again, I was saying I was in this, this, in that respect, I was pretty blessed because, um, the guys that I hung out with, um, we were, we were all about God. Like we were at, we grew up in youth together. Our, our church, our youth group, we did a lot of stuff. Like a lot of churches now they're like, are just boring or, you know, they're like, there's not a lot of activities. Now there's obviously the spiritual side They our, our youth group had uh, small groups and Bible studies and, and things like that. Um, but we did a lot of stuff. And so we, we lived life together through our youth group. And so I was always kind of connected uh, to God through that stuff. Um, right. and, our, and our youth pastor, again, uh, Eddie Shigley, drop his name. Um, <laughs> he, he was intentional. One of the most intentional men I've ever met. Like he was intentional, but everything. And we go to a camp out. We're thinking, shoot, yeah, a camp out. This is fun. We get to go fishing. We get to swim in the river, whatever it is. And they would see like someone like uh, we'd be sitting around the campfire and a log would fall off, you know, and then the log that was on fire is start to slowly go out and someone would pick it up and put it back on the fire. And then there'd just be an analogy of like, man, we're just like that spiritually. When we fall away from the fire, when we distance ourselves from church and from God, uh, we start to go out, you know? Right. And I was like, what? I'm like, who thinks of this stuff? Like he just was so intentional about everything that he did. Um, and so, but like you said, I'm still human and I still have those moments. And I think it was in middle school where if I'm being completely honest, um, I had those thoughts, even in that culture, even with all that love, the enemy's still good at his job. And I still, I remember having one of my darkest moments um, because I felt alone even though I wasn't. And I thought I never had suicidal thoughts. Like I want to kill myself. I never did. Um, so I don't want to speak as if I did, but I did have those thoughts of if I, if I didn't exist, would anybody care? Yeah. And, and I'm sure some next steps were to think about taking my life. I'm sure that's what that leads to. Um, but I was definitely having those thoughts like, does my life matter? Do, do people know I exist? Do people really care? Because my friendships, other than now with, Jay, with Jason and those guys, um, that was deep. That was um, core. You know, uh, I don't want to say that that's not. But for everybody else, I was definitely I was a people pleaser. And so I was going around mimicking everybody's group. I wasn't mm -hmm. being me, you know, um, and so that's, that's why I think I was, I don't think there's anyone that really hated me um, and stuff, but I didn't, but I was just kind of one of those guys that floated around type thing. I didn't have my own identity, so to speak and stuff. And so I, I didn't know who I was. And so I had those thoughts. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a, that's a tough spot for, you know, you said middle school. So we're talking sixth to eighth grade. Yeah. And some of those things that you just said, you know, knowing who you were, that's obviously a time frame in life where you really don't. There's so yeah. many things are changing your body, your, your chemical structure within your brain. You, 
want that acceptance, right? You want the people around you. You want to be cool. And I think that's the biggest conversational piece that I have with my oldest in regards to his experience with his education and the social construct that comes around that. And just simply breaking it down and asking him, can you define cool for me? Can you tell me what makes something cool and what makes something not? Yeah. <clears throat> and always taking that back to this, man. When you start you know, talking about being intentional, the coolest thing that I can think of to describe cool is that you are yourself unapologetically. Yeah. From a core foundation of, you know, again, we talk about your upbringing and mine. I think that's the beautiful thing about growing up in church because you do have those guys that are going to put you back on the fire if you roll out as that, you know, metaphorical yeah. log. Yeah. Because I rolled out, man. I had, I was on fire. I remember my, my, one of my favorite songs after going to a, a camp. I don't think it was Falls Creek. I did go to Falls Creek a couple of years. It was, uh, uh, a camp, I believe, in Missouri. The guy that was the head there, his name was Ken. I can't think of his last name now, but I thought he was the coolest dude because he's older and he had shaved a cross into the back of his head. <laughs> but My God is an Awesome God, yeah. that song. I remember coming back home and I could not stop singing that song. And I was just, I was on fire, but at some point I rolled out. And I didn't know who I was. I had identified with the church. And as that, that part of that body for so long, once it started to shift, <clears throat> like you said, to your point, that's when that isolation starts to potentially set in or that idle mind, it becomes, what is the saying? The idle mind is the devil's playground. Yeah. And so for where you're at in that moment, <clears throat> I feel you and hear you loud and clear and that those thoughts a hundred percent from my experience go from would it matter if i wasn't here to okay well maybe i just shouldn't be here and that gets really dangerous yeah right? i guess yeah. that's where it gets really dangerous and some people they do they take it past that and they take it into action and going no i don't matter and so I'm going to drop out you know i am going to end this myself um yeah. and that's that's the thing that is obviously horrific uh pain that people feel and they think oh the only way to get rid of this is to end myself yeah so you know again it's and i wanted to hit on that because there are so many kids out there that they don't have direction they don't have the fortunate blessings that we did growing up to have those people around them to have that love around them when they are feeling low, when they have dropped down <clears throat> to have arms wrapped around them. And in such a technology, you know, advanced age that we're in with all the social media and the direct access that people have, there's a lot of ugly in that regard for our children. Yeah. Well, and that's and so, and, and you know, and I know you, you've seen that from your walk. So, you know, to get back to, to kind of where we're at in that timeline, you know, it's, you know, you're talking about middle school is that first time it hit you where you start to kind of question, but you've got that team around you and, you know, you, 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 you hit that low. What, what was it that, 
that brought you out of those low moments as a child. And when I say child, I mean, we may not start referring to ourselves as men until about 25, maybe, but Uh, some some people still question it. I don't know. No, I mean, I was was like, maybe, maybe 39. No, um, you know, that that team around you, what was it that got you? Honestly, I, I, I believe it derived from God, but it was my mom. My mom's has spoken a moment in me that just was game changing. And it, when I was at that point, when I, when I believed I was kind of at my darkest moments of like my thought was just so dark about my life, um, she simply uh, wrote me a note. Hmm. She, she wrote me a note because uh, a lot of people don't know this, but my my family life, some of the biggest struggles we had was my mom uh, dealt with a, a chemical imbalance uh, most of her life. So nobody really knew it because she managed it well outside the house. But inside the house, she was almost a different person and not by choice. I mean, it was a chemical balance, uh, imbalance in her brain. And so she just struggled with that. She had back pains. And so at home, it was, she was difficult. Um, and then my dad also struggled with severe migraines 24 seven, like other people have had what he has have committed suicide because it was just too much. Um, there was a little bit of relief, but there was no full relief. And that's what my parents lived with. That's what we lived with on like, you know, um, through our whole childhood growing up and later on in life, they both were. Uh, delivered from those things but growing up high school like elementary school middle school high school even into college that was a part of our life and so it was very tense at home because they're just trying to survive while raising kids and so it was difficult and so I'm kind of feel like you're kind of getting it from all angles and that's why it was so impactful coming from my mom because it was almost the moment that she just stopped and just looked at me and, and just, she wrote me a note and, and, you know, she said a few things on there. I'll keep those personal, but she did say that she goes, I know things are crazy and hectic, but God's, but God still loves you. And I still love you is the, is the premise of that. And that God, that God will be our strength and, and stuff. And she just let me know that she noticed me. And that seems weird, but, that's and that meant the most to me. I still have that to, to, to this day. I have that on my dresser, that note that she wrote me. And that uh, just goes back to what I said earlier in that what do kids know? Kids know love. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like and, I I knew it when when I when I saw it, when I when it came to me, you know, and I was like, you just it hit me and I was like, so that that really brought me over that point that dark moment. Um, and so you got to love moms, man. Yeah. Uh, they, they know how, now there's not a lot of, there's, there's some imperfect moms out there, but mine one, one was not perfect, but she was intentional about, she fight. The moms just fight to love their kids, you know, and that's, we need that for sure. Um, so, so that was kind of a big breaking moment for me. And then, and then honestly, just kind of in, in, in that middle school area, it was really, I mean, it was my friends. It really was like, that was our, one of our biggest strengths and also one of our biggest weaknesses as our core group 
of was that we kept, we were very intentional with each other. Mm -hmm. But our biggest failure was we were not intentional with others outside of our group. You know, we were like, we weren't intentional with you or, or with something like that. When we see someone else rolling away from the fire, we weren't intentional about going out and saying, Hey, we, we notice you, we still love you. You're still valuable. You know, um, we were great at it with each other, but what was there like five, six of us, you know? And so, um, so that was, that was a huge blessing to like, you know, with Chris Mueller and Mike Hughes and and Josh and Jason and, and Jeff, and we were great at being there for each other. And that was a huge blessing. And so our conversations, like for a while in middle school, we weren't really open and honest with about everything that we struggled with, you know, the things that guys struggle with and things like that. When we started getting into high school, dude, those were my guys. We knew, we knew exactly what we all struggled with because we were open with each other. And again, that came with the intentionality and, and leadership of our small group leader, Chris Wardout and our youth pastor, Eddie Shigley, and stuff. And so that was a huge blessing. Definitely. So you get through, we get through high school, and, you know, those, again, I think it's, it's important to, to understand that <clears throat> as a Christian, you are not perfect. As a Christian, you are forgiven. Yeah. So you don't, you don't say, yeah, I am a Christ follower. My attempt in life is to be Christ-like. And then all of a sudden, life's temptations fall away. All the struggles that everybody else out there who maybe doesn't go to church or maybe has a different faith that they practice, they're still there. The world is still very much in your face every day, just like it is for you, just like it is for me and, and anybody else. So when was it and what was it that made you realize you were having a calling and calling is the best word to utilize for it because a calling, look, you don't always want to answer your phone, right? You may yeah. see that name pop up and you're like, ah, oh, shit. Like, not this yeah. guy again. I probably <laughs> get that more than, than anybody. But <laughs> what was that moment where you realized, hey, God is uh, leading me to ministry? Uh, it was actually in college. Um, was this the start of that? The start of that, um, like I said, as you go through time, it, it gets more clear and you, you get more mature in what you're doing and more intentional. But I was in college and my mom was a teacher. So I always like we had uh, brewing book buddies. So I played football and, oh, yeah. and and then like on game days, we would go to our elementary schools that we grew up in and we would go to a classroom and we would read. To them and i love i absolutely love that i still hope that they do something like that today um, right but i never went back to wilson i love wilson i love my teachers there everything was great but my mom taught at hoover elementary school and i'd always go to her classroom that's my school baby yeah it was a great school and so that's where my mom, my mom taught and so i would always wear you know our our game shirts and we i'd go to my mom's classroom and i would uh i would help her out and i do that on a regular basis, not just on game days. Um, I would go and help read to kids or help them one-on-one with their math homework or whatever it was. And so I thought, man, I love kids. I want to be a teacher too. 
uh, which is a great thing. Uh, I think we need more quality teachers out there too. So, but when I got into college, I went into the education program and there was, I was like in my uh, sophomore, between my sophomore junior year, I just felt like God was saying, no, let's make a shift. I need you to go into the religion department. And I was like, and what's, what school were you at? I was at, I went to, I went to Oklahoma Wesleyan university, um, Bartlesville Wesleyan at the time, but Oklahoma Wesleyan. And I went there and I was going to be a teacher, you know, and doing all the, taking all the classes for that. And, you know, um, and so, but then halfway through God was just like, he just, there wasn't a thing. He just grabbed me and, you know, just said, Hey, I need you to go into the religion department and, and go into ministry. And I said, okay, well, what part, you know, missions, senior pastor, youth pastor, educate, like what? And then God just stopped talking. And I was like, okay, I have no more direction. So I went to a, an advisor. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, and sometimes <laughs> that's what God does to us. He's like, I'll point you the right way. Just go and like, oh, I need more clarity. And he's like, nope. You know, trust me. And I was like, so I, I, so I gotta, I gotta step in on that because I think that's a massively interesting point that you just made. Yes. And I think there's two parts to that, that I want to try to break down real quick. One, you know, that calling is not something, and, and this is me by all means, clean this up. I think a lot of people think that when, when we start talking about calling, finding that path in that direction, that it's something that when it comes to Christ, when it comes to God, that you're going to maybe audibly hear it. Or it's going to be this overwhelming emotion that you feel that you just go, no, no questions asked. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And those things may happen for people. I think there's times when we're deep in thought, whether it's prayer, meditation, and we're really trying to hear we're really trying to hear the world around us. And if you're praying, you know, if you're in the faith, what you're trying to do is you are, you're trying to hear God. For me, I think one of the most powerful things that I can say from a consistent basis when it comes to following your faith, I think it's that old saying of listen to your gut. Now, that's not where that saying originated from, right? That's a medical saying. Yeah, But when you have a decision in front of you, you, I think everybody, if they're being honest, they always have that moment where they immediately have an answer. And that answer is typically not the easy one, right? Yeah. It's typically not the one we want. And so I think from a consistent basis, the, the place where we hear God the most is that kind of that gut instinct, that gut feeling that you kind of question, like, is that my thought? Is that Justin? Yeah. Hold on a second. Am I losing my mind right now? I don't want to do that. Right. And then the other side of it to the point that you were making that I think is just as profound. As you said, I got direction. But it was just this this one step. It wasn't, hey, God, what is the what is the the outline? What is the blueprint from right now until 10 years from now? God didn't give you that, right? You didn't get that yeah. answer. You got this direction, and God basically is telling you what? Just take the first step. I need you to go here. Don't worry about anything else. Just listen to this direction. 
and go here. You know what I mean? Well, that's, that's the premise of faith. I mean, if I were to have all the answers, there's no faith in that. <clears throat> faith is stepping beyond our understanding into the unknown and, and trusting that. <clears throat> that's what faith is. And so that's what God does. He goes, I'm going to give you the next step and give you the direction. Well, God, where, where's the rest of this? And he's, he's like, I, that's where I need you to trust me. Right. You know, and so and that's and that's what I got. I got that moment. Now, he didn't just leave me there, you know, in, in time when I was ready, he gave me the next step. He gave me the next direction, you know, um, but that's where it started for me. So I was just like, OK. And, and I had that that in me, you know, um, that gut feeling. We call it different things, but it all kind of I believe it derives from the same thing. It's the spirit's prompting, mm -hmm. you know, if we have that relationship with Christ, you know, he says we have the Holy Spirit in us and. Um, he's our, he's our guidance, he's our counselor, he's our corrector, you know? And so, but the, yeah, you're exactly right. It's that same, that, that something inside me was just like, go here. And I was like, yeah, I know that's, that's what I needed to do. So I did. And I've been spending my life trying to figure out <laughs> how to, how to refine that ever since, you know? Yeah. And it'll never end. No. Right? And, and, you, and you don't want and it, it shouldn't. To. Yeah. I don't, yeah, it shouldn't end. You don't I, want it I, to. Gosh, if I ever got to a place in life where I was like, I have it all figured out, then I'm like, okay, then now what? You know, <laughs> like I, I don't want my life to ever stop growing and maturing and, and, and because I'm not done with life. You right. know, life's, life's not done with me. So, so in that calling, what, you know, that's, that's not easy. That's not a that's not a thing that that anybody, regardless of, of how strong you are in your faith, not everyone's called. No, feels it, led to say, you know what, I'm going to not only really be strong in my faith and practice every day to follow Christ and listen to his directives, but I'm going to lead others yeah. to do the same. And this is back in a time frame where I don't think it was is volatile as it is now when it comes to the acceptance of of christian men and women yeah and so not that it well, was any easier not that there weren't but you know this is not a calling that you just go yeah let's go god thank you yeah, yeah so well i was called into something that one i wasn't mature enough to handle on my own i didn't have the the understanding of it i mean so i was called into something that was beyond me, which I'm glad that God doesn't just give me baby stuff. You know, he's like, I want you to be a part of something great, you know? So, but I was, like you said, though, it was still something that was beyond my maturity level, my understanding, because like I said before, my maturity level and understanding was about me. Right. But God had then called me to step into something that was beyond me and was about others. And that had to be scary as hell. Oh, gosh, I didn't. I never saw myself as a leader in any capacity, even even in our, my group. You know, it's like, well, I never valued my not to say that those guys, um, my my core guys, like that they didn't value my opinion. But I just lived in a way that my mindset was stuck in this place where it wasn't valued. And so I was always kind of the guy saying, okay, so what do I do and where are we going? You know? Right. Um, and rather than saying, hey, guys, let's do this. Let's go there. I was always the follower. 
because I never viewed myself as a leader. And then God's saying, okay, well, I'm going to put you in a path in a direction that's going to be a leader. And I was like, obviously unqualified for that. I was like, I didn't have even the mindset for that. And so I'm still working on that, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to, because I can tell you right now from that group, there's a lot of alpha male going on. Yeah. There's a lot of alpha male going on in that group, man. And I think there's a big misconception of alpha male. It's not the one that beats their chest the loudest or the hardest. Yeah. Or, you know, is that one that's consistently saying, no, this is what we're doing. This right now, group dynamics, tribal dynamics, you're going to have leaders, right? Yeah. But there's so much that makes up what makes someone a leader. It's not just how well can you speak, how loudly can you speak it, or how passionately, but it is an all-encompassing thing of, for instance, leadership is something that you take on when you have the ability to do something that you're scared to death to do, but you don't let that fear cripple you. Because faith and trust live in the same house, right? Yeah. Faith and trust live in the same room. They got bunk beds together. And you can define what makes them different. But to have faith, to make that decision, like, I'm going to go lead when I don't feel like I'm a leader. You're having faith in God's direct- direction. And you're trusting that he's going to take you down the right path. There's yeah. faith and there's trust and there's that belief there. They're all, again, they're all in the same house. And so with that fear, I want to know, because I feel like so many people don't know how to get past that part of it, right? You take on something new, it's scary. And we, a lot of us stop there. So when you got this call and you said, oh, are you sure? God, me? Like, what if I was just like a deacon? Or, you know, like, hey, I'll hand out, you know, for the, 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 the place for the, the offering, right? Can I do that, God? Yeah. What? Why this? Well, those those big hurdles come with you're qualified. You're feeling qualified. And so there's some level as someone that was raised in the church and things like that, that you're like, okay, maybe I am qualified. And so it's through your failures that that you really understand uh, you're qualified. And, and I'll explain it this way. So, so I got into youth ministry and so I felt a little qualified and I was like, okay, well, they're younger than me. I'm, I'm further along in life than they are. Um, so maybe I am qualified and that's a, you know, you start to have this disillusion that you've got it because um, you start to think that because you you're older than them and then you start to realize, but you hit it on earlier. It's like, I'm not just thinking about my faith, but others people's faith now. So I'm, I'm just trying to go through life, trying to build my own relationship with Christ and, and understand what that is. But now I'm responsible for, for others, you know, not just tens, but twenties, hundreds of other people. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. You know? And so now what people don't realize when you go into ministry, whether it's missions or any kind of ministry is that weight and that burden of responsibility is now on you. Now, 
we're not supposed to carry it on ourselves. We're supposed to obviously surrender these things to God, but we, we suck at that. And, and we carry it on our, as our own, um, whether we're supposed to or not. And we do that. And so now we have this burden that's on us. And it's like, man, if I ever mess up, if I ever not able to, it, it's not just running someone's, you know, I'm like, if I was a bad coach and not to say coaches, cause there's a, there's a depth to it that I don't even know of, of leading people through coaching and teaching and things like that. But I kept looking at it as like, if I mess up, this could, they may turn their back on God or they may turn their back on the church and things like that, you know, and run their eternity and all this different stuff. I was just going through my mind at the time. And so there's just this weight of like perfection that you have to obtain that was unobtainable because that's not possible. But that was my lack of maturity in, in my understanding of, of my own faith and, and how to lead through that. But it's through my failures that I saw that because when I get into college, you know, at this time, I was raised in the church, raised in a Christian home, went to, I had Christian friends, you know, I was kind of in this little bubble area and went to a Christian university. And I didn't see failure like spiritual failure, like some other people have. And so I start to justify that. And I'm like, well, I may struggle with this, but I don't struggle with that, you know? And that's, that's right. my own immaturity speaking. Um, and so that's where I was at in college and when I felt called to do this. So I kind of, um, there is a level of like, I don't know what this is, but I think I can step into it. And then... And then I had, um, there was another dark moment in college. In the midst of all this, I had uh, one of my biggest, to date at the time, biggest moral failures. And I, I got to a place where I was like, I, my heart's desire wasn't to go there. Um, I never thought I would even make these choices. But, you know, you, like, you start to slide away a little bit at a time. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, how did I get this far? You know, it wasn't my desire to be this far, but I got there. And yep. I, I had a, a, I'd messed up uh, sexually in a huge way. And that was another moment of mine where fortunately I had people in my life that loved on me and still said, hey, <laughs> and this is where I learned about grace. I, I'd never messed up in such a big way that I really understood God's grace um, the way that he wanted me to until I did at this moment. So I'm in college. And then again, I'm, I'm going through these questions. Like I'm not qualified. I don't, God, God's done with me. He may still love me, but he doesn't love me as much. It's all lies. He loves me unconditionally, but I didn't understand that. And so I had to fail. I didn't have to. I, I say that. Like, God doesn't desire us to fail for us to understand. But it's through that failure that I learned that God still loved me and still desired to use me in amazing ways. And it's, so it was through my failure and through understanding that it's not whether I'm good or not, but it's all depending on God. Because God will take the worst person and still desire and can do amazing things through them. And through so is that understanding of like, it's not, it's not about me. 
I just have to be willing to go where he's calling me and it's God that does it. You know, it's that, it's that mentality. Right. And, and God, you know, my, from my experience, um, with, with my own walk is we do have a, a hat that he wants us to wear. He, we are a tool that he's, he's shaped us to be used for a specific purpose. Yeah. Understanding that purpose is usually where we all go wrong or to your point, something comes up and you do something, you fail at something and it's typically failure that we go, Oh, well I see that wasn't actually God's calling that, that, that if, if I was supposed to do that, then I wouldn't have made this mistake sexually or I wouldn't have picked up this habit, whatever it may be an addiction of some kind, whether it's porn, whether it's drinking, whether it's drugs, <clears throat> yeah. whatever that vice may be, we think, Oh, well then that that's our out. And it, the best way to put it is it's, it's our fear stepping in. It's a cop out. And God says, yeah, no, I'm going to need you to fix it. Right. But I'm going to help you lay it at my feet. Right. And, and I think that's where so many people start to fall off is when they realize or they do something and they think, nope, see, I'm not perfect. So I'm out. Right. Yeah. And that's where, honestly, that's kind of a good segue because man, I'm not gonna lie. When I started writing down what I wanted to talk to you about, I thought, Oh, I've got so many, so many bullet points I want to hit. But the more that I got into it, I was like, Oh, okay. Maybe I should stop at seven. Maybe I should stop at 10. You know, there's a lot of things I want to get into, but this is a great segue to this, this next one kind of going from your beginnings to getting into now where we're starting to get onto the edge of starting your ministry. And that is faith and temptation yeah, and that battle within, especially it being from a society that, again, I'm just going to say it this way. And I don't care if you don't, people don't like it. Don't listen. It's very much against Christianity and the acceptance of that faith and or of faith and religion of itself, unless it's the fad faith to support, is anti-cool. Yeah. So for you, in your faith, in your walk, get into the, the, the temptations that you started to experience and that battle within when you said, I'm listening to your calling, God, now what? How loud did it get around you? <laughs> Uh, man, it was, that's all that was, it was because there was a transformation, um, because most of us struggle in those moments because our life is about us. We think that we are the main character in our story and I'm not like my, my life isn't just about me. That's, that's, that's learning that through these experiences is understanding is like, God hasn't called me to go do something for me. Now, by, by default, I am loved through the process. I grow through the process. I'm a part of it. But I wasn't called to, to, to live my life just for me. I don't want to become a better man just for me. I don't want to, to better my finances or my faith because of me. 
it's to help others. My life, like I, I believe that as a believer is like I was given breath in my lungs by God to love God and to love others. And, Absolutely. and, and it's this process of understanding that is that, excuse me, brings more clarity to my life and my calling. And that's what helps me take that next step because you're absolutely right. There's it, the closer I got to understanding what I was called to do was the harder, uh, the harder the enemy hit me, you know, and, and you're right. There's a lot of struggles that, that, uh, that men go through like with pornography and lust and all that kind of stuff and, and understanding, um, how to, how to fight through those battles, but still, not feel full of shame and guilt and because that sin comes with shame and guilt and that stuff just pours on and so a lot of that is not standing up running (laughs) it's you're on the ground crawling you know and you're constantly having to um you're asking those questions like man i i know what i i'm like behind the closed doors I know yeah. my thoughts. I know this. Am, why, why, why? That's it's just asking God why. Why in the world would you want me to lead spiritually when you know the worst of me? And the great, the great thing about that is, is actually comes from the story uh, in the Bible of Jonah. Um, and I won't get into that because not everyone may understand that story. So I'll just keep it to me. But the reason that God desires to use us even when he knows the worst about us is because he loves us. I mean, could you imagine this, Justin? Imagine this. You, at your darkest moments, you, and you just, you're full of guilt, you're full of shame. You're like, I'm not worth anything. And for God to come to you and say, Justin, I want to use you to do something incredible in this world. And you're like, no, you got to use somebody else. Get out of here, Joker. I'm not the right guy. Right. And God says, I know the worst parts of you, Justin, but I still, I still love you and I still want to use you. That's the ultimate thing is to be used in the worst possible moments because you have no value. You don't think you do. But someone says, I love you. You have value and I'm going to do something incredible through you. What, a, what an incredible act of love. When the world says, yep, you're right. I'm not going to use you. You're not worthy. You have no value to me. God comes and says, you have value to me and I'm going to do something incredible through you. That's, that's powerful. That's big. That's powerful. And so that's the battle that's going on is like, I'm like, I have no value. God's like, you do to me, let's keep going because I want to do something incredible through you. And so you're like, okay, let's keep going. And, um, so I think I think on that point, what you touched on is something that if you're listening and you're actively trying to walk as a Christian, or you're actively trying to walk as a good person from a secular standpoint, mm-hmm. these two avenues are the same. There's no difference in me saying, Jeremy. I think you should love someone even with their faults because none of us are perfect and we're all going to make mistakes. And sometimes we're going to make some really bad mistakes, 
that message is no different than if you were to look at the Bible and the Gospels, <clears throat> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, correct me if I'm wrong, but the good news is that we are supposed to, our jobs here is to love one another the way Christ showed us to love, right? Yeah. The way he loved his disciples. That's what, in, in the Last Supper, one of the things he told them, right? And I think throughout his time on earth, he said that multiple times. But, and again, this is why I say, don't come to me for scripture. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't ask me to quote scripture because I will, I will jack that up. Um, but what I will say is to that point, the, two, the avenues that is the same, whether it's secular, whether it's religious or not, is, is that our job as people to one another is to remind someone what their purpose is through our love and support, through picking them up whenever they're down. You don't, you don't have to say, hey, Jeremy, I, I, I believe in Christ to do that, right? Yeah. This is not a, a message that is, is reinventing the wheel, so to speak. So I think, I think not to, I don't want to step all over that, that beautiful point that you just made, but I think it's important for people to take away what you said that God was there at your worst. That's an example of what we're supposed to do here as well. Oh, 100%. Right. That, and see, you, you can't, you can't do what you don't know. And so I, I didn't really understand that. So God's constantly, just like you are with your son, like you're showing him, you're teaching him, hoping that he gets it. And then he does it with someone else. Right. That's, that's the whole thing. And so that's what Christ is doing that, that God was doing with me. He was showing me love at my worst and showing me that I had value at my worst. Mm. And that's what, that's what I literally, that's what my life is about. Like, like, that's my calling. It's my calling isn't to be a senior pastor on a stage. My calling isn't to, to be at this profession or that profession. My calling in life is to, to do everything I can to let people know, whether they're believers or non-believers, that they are loved and that they have value. Absolutely. And, and, that, and that no matter where they're at, that Christ still desires that relationship with them. I mean, because we live in a world that's, that's saying that puts value on things. And there's, there's some good to that. I mean, if I, if I need a new roof, if, I, if we have a, a hailstorm and I need a new roof, I'm going to go to a guy and be like, hey, you do this for me? And he goes, yes, I can. I was like, wait, do you even know how to do that? Are you qualified? And he's like, oh, I've never done it a day in my life. Okay, well, you're no value to me. I'm going to go to someone who does, you know? So there's, we, we live in a society that we judge people's values, yep. you know? Um, but the thing is, is the way the world works and the way that God works are two different things. So that you hit on a point. I want to ask you this straight up. Yeah. And I, and I'm going to tell you right now, Jeremy, I have some questions, man. Let's I'm do gonna, it. I'm, I'm putting you on the hot, in the hot seat. I want to come at you a little bit. Judgment. I think there's a lot of misconception about judgment because mm -hmm. you hear it all the time. People say, well, you're Christian. You can't, you're not supposed to judge me. Can, can I not? If, if, let me ask, so here's the question. Here's the root of that question. Is it wrong to look at someone and based on what you judge or what you perceive, you make a judgment on whether or not that's somebody that you want to have a part of your circle? 
right? Now, as a Christian, are you supposed to do that? Are you just supposed to open arm everyone and bring them into your world? Or do you love them at a distance because maybe they, I don't know, maybe they do heroin. Maybe they're a pedophile and they're in jail. You don't love them, but you're not going to invite them into your home. Now, maybe I'm wrong. But as far as judgment goes, where is it that you fall on that? How do we judge? Can we judge? And if we can, how do we? And if we're not supposed to, well, what does that mean? Well, again, I can't. My inner circle can't be 100,000 people. It's just it's impossible to have an intimate relationship with that many people. Um, Christ even shows this example where he had 12. He had 12 disciples that he poured into at his core, you know, uh, and then it filtered out from there. So just naturally, we all have people <clears throat> in our inner core, kind of like an outer core, and then like people that we just pass by. So this is the same thing. So with judgment, 100%, like God says, we're not to judge. Now we do. We're human. Um, we make decisions. Like, um, like I chose like the, the core that I had. My friends growing up, like I wanted to be in this circle because we were going the same direction. Uh, we were encouraging to each other. We were uplifting each other. It was a great core to be a part of. Um, now, I was still friends with, with those outside that circle, that maybe we're going a different direction, maybe don't even believe what I believe. I had friends that uh, lived a totally different lifestyle than me, but we didn't hang out all the time because um, there's like this, the closer people are to you, the more power they have to influence you, right? And so that wasn't an influence that I wanted in my life. So there is a distance that I kept, but I think the judgment though is, is like that spiritual judgment that like that God desires. Like I may look at someone, like you said, like, let's just go to the extreme. Let's go to murderers, rapists, pedophiles. Um, let's go to this extreme here um, to prove the point is like, I, I'm not going to hang out with them. <laughs> right. um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hang out with them. There's going to be distance between us and them, but I still desire a change in their life. I still desire uh, for God to get a hold of them to, to, um, bring love and forgiveness to them and to have a change in their heart. Like I still desire that for them. And so I, there's a level of like human nature where I'm like, okay, well, we're not going to hang out now. People get changed. You know, I'm like, if I, if I knew a guy that murdered somebody and had did, had done his time that had got a guy, God, God got a hold of his life. And, and he, you know, was totally different, whatever, like, I mean, there, I don't have, I'm not going to say, well, we're not going to hang out because of your past. I've got my own story. I've got my own past. And so, again, I think it just comes to your heart. That's what right. God says. He goes, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks down in the heart, um, which sometimes is unfortunate because, you know, down in my heart's not always the best. <laughs> but Absolutely. so my desire is to stray away from judgment as much as I can. That's my desire. Um, again, I'm not perfect, but that's my, that's my desire is to stray away from judgment and to, to remind people that they are loved no matter what their story is. Um, right. even if like, if, um, if you have a totally different belief than me, or if you don't believe in God at all. Um, and I've, and I've, I've had friends that doing that, like some work colleagues and stuff like that, that just like, they just told me like, well, 
we just believe it's a bunch of hocus pocus and stuff like that. I'm like, cool. I can still love you. We can still be friends. I can still talk to you. you know, and we, we had a great uh, relationship, working relationship and stuff. And, but that's not my job. My job isn't to go off and tell people, hey, these are your sins. These are your faults. My job is to say, hey, no matter where you're at and what you believe, it's like, I just want you to know that you're loved and that you have value. And it's through that process that people are drawn to God. And the thing, they're not drawn to God by condemnation. They're drawn to God by that love. So, yeah. And, you know, I think for, for me in my, my walk, what I've looked at is in, in, in some of the conversations that I've had over the years <clears throat> is I can make a judgment on someone and, and I'm going to, we, we consistently do that with each other. And I think yeah. people are afraid of the word judgment, but I'm going to make a decision about you based on facts that I collect from watching you, from talking to you. Yes. The one thing I'm not going to do is judge your eternity. Yes. I don't have that answer. And I think for me, when it comes to judgment, thou shall not judge. I don't know if that's a commandment, but you know, I'm not going to judge your eternity. That's for God to decide. So that's yeah. kind of where I fall in it. And I think one of the, the worst phrases you'll find with me, Jeremy, as we go, like I'm somebody, I get really annoyed with some of our catchphrases in life. <laughs> and one of those being, you can't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. That cover is what makes me pick up the book. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. Like if that yeah. book cover looks ridiculous to me or corny to me in some way, if I don't know anything about it, I'm probably not picking that up. Yeah. So a better I phrase think, is you shouldn't judge a book by cover, but not you can't like, but that's what we do. Yeah. I you're think, absolutely right. I think the whole saying should be thrown away <clears throat> because uh, it's like, yeah, take a look at the damn cover. And if you like it, great. Because that's going to get you to the content. Yeah, but that's what we do. We're all books that have a cover on us, right? We have the, the, the part that we show people and then the part that we are. Right. You know, and that's why it's so important to, to, to love on everybody because, man, you don't know when they're, oh, man, I just, we, you hit a nerve there. Um, <laughs> it's just, and that's, that's the whole point of this is the intentionality. Um, I am now, and honestly, I would say taking bigger steps in living my life intentionally, maybe just over the last six to seven years right. is, is really trying to learn. Like my life's not about <clears throat> me. It's like, I'm good. Like I, I'm not perfect. Like I have a relationship. Like for me, what I believe is like, I have a relationship with Christ. I'm going to heaven. Um, and when I fall and make mistakes, he's helping me up all along the way. So it's like, I, I'm, I'm good. But there's so many people out there that don't know that they're, they're, they're lovable that they're redeemable. That's the thing is like, I, you don't know what I've done. I had a neighbor tell me that he was, um, he, he looked as old as dirt. Um, and I think he might've been, but he was, uh, he was part of hell's angels. Uh, he was, he's been in prison, uh, yeah. for, for over 20 some years, you know, he's been in and out of prison, things like that. He, he lived a rough life. I invited him to church one time and he was like, um, he goes, man, if I stepped indoors of the church, it would catch on fire. And I was like, right. good. We'll cook some s'mores. I was like, I, you know, I don't care. It's like, but his, his view was 
you don't know what I've done and, and I, I'm not redeemable. And, right. and that's not true, but that's what, and so there's a lot of people with that mindset out there. And that's literally why I exist. Like everything I do is to, to love on people. Like I'm, uh, I kind of stepped down out of, 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 from my church and stuff right now to be with my family because my, uh, my parents are having some health complications and I'm here kind of um, helping them through uh, this season of life. Um, but that doesn't stop me from being intentional. And, right. uh, and that's, that's the thing is like, I'm not called to a specific job. I'm called to go love people and, and let them know that they are redeemable. And I think yeah. that's, that's a great spot because there are sacrifices that, that one makes when they are pursuing a passion. And I think too often yeah. people, people believe, because again, another saying is, is that when you do what you're passionate about, you never work another day in your life. Yeah. Look, I'm going to say it this way. It's that's, that's bullshit. You're, you're going to work harder and the challenges are going to be greater when it becomes something that you're passionate about, because whether it's, whether it's the devil, whether it's the enemy, whether it's just almost like the cosmos or some kind of karma is that when you start chasing what you want to do, those obstacles can become greater because it's like, there's this force that almost doesn't want you to succeed. Yeah. And so with that, it, it, it makes me curious, Jeremy, what were some of these, you know, your, your sacrifices from a personal standpoint that you've made to pursue this calling in your faith? Oh, gosh. And, and through those sacrifices that you made, I mean, can you hit on what? I mean, I think I, at this point, overall, everyone's going to go, well, the, the answer to what kept him steadfast was God first. And then a circle around him. But what were those sacrifices that you had to make? Because we got to get to the part where we're talking about you started you started a church, correct? So yeah, we've got to get to that, you know, kind of building this foundation. So what were the sacrifices that you yeah, made? Absolutely. And and sometimes you're in the middle of it, so you don't understand the, the full the full spectrum of the sacrifice. Um, again, because you don't have all the answers of the clarity there, but some sacrifices that I made was, was a lot at times. And, and honestly, I, I, I've even asked, I begged God for an out. God, I want, I want out of this because I, I didn't realize that this was going to be, the sacrifice was going to be this much. And this is, I didn't know that this was going to be the cost, but that being said, God always reminded me, of what the sacrifice was going to bring. And now, in every- that, you, with those sacrifices, I mean, it had to come at the cost of relationships. Yes. 100%. Whether that was platonic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kind of so, that bigger one, you know, is, is a relationship with a woman. Yeah. And, and that's been difficult. And not to say it can't happen. There's a lot of people in ministry that are obviously happily married. <clears throat> so that wasn't it. Um, one, I also didn't understand intentionality in marriage when I was married at the time, uh, or even in relationships earlier on. Um, but the sacrifices that I started to see, um, when you, when God has called you to commit your life to others, it, you know, and not to say that that's the thing is I didn't know the balance. 
there's a way to love other people and still love yourself. Um, but I didn't know that, but I was also kind of like, I'm all in. So I just jumped. And so it came at my sacrifice. And so, um, I, it has been relationships, um, where in my mind, I'll say that uh, in my mind, it was choosing the church over a relationship. Um, and so I chose the church because I was like, that's, that's what I'm called to do. So I, I wouldn't, I don't, I'd be so involved with that that I didn't have time for a relationship or at least a healthy relationship. I'll say that I made times for a relationship, but I didn't make time for a healthy relationship um, to invest into it what I needed to. So I, I, I sacrificed um, relationship. I sacrificed my personal health. Um, I sacrificed me, me time. Like I used to go camping and hiking and four wheeling and all this kind of awesome stuff. Um, and then when I got into, when I got, when I called into starting a church, um, I, I didn't get to do any of that stuff. And so I, I didn't get to see my family very often, you know? Um, and so I sacrificed, and that's the thing is God didn't necessarily call me to do that, but I just didn't have a good balance. And right. so I, I, so all that stuff went for six or seven years almost. Um, and so I went through burnout. I actually went to counseling for months um, because I didn't know how to balance that. And the sacrifices were so great and I felt so alone. You know, yeah. when, when you're, when you're leading a church, especially when you're single and you don't have that marriage or that family to lean on or to, to communicate with on a deeper level um, and you're in a smaller community. Um, I didn't have a lot of people that, I could just hang out with. So let people, me, let me, people, let me back you up there just a second, not to cut you off. I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm clear on what, what yeah. you're saying. So you're talking about burnout. Now this is, you've started a church at this yeah. point. Yes. Okay. So you started this church and, and kind of give us a time frame when you started it and how far you were in to doing what, I mean, you've already said God has called you to do. You've answered the call. You're, yep. you're in it, right? So you yep. started a church and then how long you're into it afterwards. That, oh, I'm burnt out. Right. Tell me, tell me about that. What, what was the time well, frame of that? And, and, and when did you start it? And, and, and how long after you started, did you experience that? Well, experiencing it and then acknowledging it were two different times. Um, I think very soon, like, cause I was called, uh, when he, God called me to, to, to leave the church that I was at and go start a church that was geared towards those outside the church. Um, God, it was a very specific calling um, um, to reach out to those who don't know God that have been burned by God or been burned by the church. They haven't been burned by God, but burned by church or Christians. And that's, that was our ministry. And so when God called me to do that, obviously. And this was life, was this life church? Yeah, well, we, we partnered with Life Church. We were New Song okay. Church. We were our own church, but we God allowed us to partner with them, and they brought a lot of uh, leadership and models and, and things, and kind of uh, they brought a lot of stuff to the table, and allowed us to be able to um, to start from scratch, but have a great first step. Um, right. And so they're great to partner with, and, and just teaching leadership and um, and things like that. So that was great. Um, but um, so in that, um, 
I'm way over, I'm in way over my head. I've never started a church before. I've never led at this capacity before. Um, and so, and I wasn't even full time. I was doing it full time, but I also had another, had to work another job at a local university full time. So I'm working two full time jobs and, um, and one not knowing. So I'm doing, spending all my time learning and growing and stuff, which is, which has been amazing for me because, uh, I, that's when I really started to understand the difference between being in charge and actually being a leader. And there's a huge difference between just being in charge and actually being a leader. Being in charge demands you. Being a leader is just living your life in a way that people desire to follow you. Yeah, and so, yeah, so I learned all that stuff, um, but I didn't balance it out well. Um, and... Yeah, well, so burnout started really quick because when you're when you when you're carrying a weight that you can't carry, you get tired real quick. And I kind of in um, inadvertently, I kind of inherited an unhealthy board. Um, great people, just not quite a board material. Um, if yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And so yeah. they're going one direction and I'm following God, which is going a different direction. And so now we've got division. And so we've got all this anxiety, all this um, um, tension, and we're going two different ways. And we're all passionate about the direction we're going. And so I'm like, God, how do I lead a church with people pulling me this way? And so just learning that. So very quickly, and, and I didn't understand how to lead a board at the time. You know, I'm still figuring that out. And sure. so when you're when someone says hey lead something you don't know how to lead you're like okay but the thing is is i wasn't leaning on god like i should have been i was leaning on jeremy in my understanding in my wisdom which was lacking so that's that's really where i started my burnout um because i i started to lean on me more than god um thinking i was doing what god wanted you know you do something and you say oh I'm putting God's name on this when God's like, that's don't put my name on that. I didn't tell you to do that. You know, that started to lead. Um, and then it was probably, so that was probably year one or two. And so it, it was about the fifth, fifth year. No, probably in the sixth year that I finally got to a breaking point where it was just so unhealthy. Like my, my, my home life, like I wasn't having these big, um, moral failures or anything like that, but I was just so mentally and physically and stuff just unhealthy because I was just denying myself so much and I was doing things in an unhealthy way or I wasn't spending time with God that I needed to. I wasn't getting full of, of, of God to be able to pour out. My, my, my cup was empty. So is this a, a time frame where you were, was this when you were married at no, this, no, no, no. I was married. That was uh, I was married about fourteen years ago. At this point, okay. this was like right after college. Okay. Uh, I got I got married. She had some uh, moral failures, and she wanted out of the marriage. And gotcha. it all it all happened within like a year and a half. Two yeah, time. and I and I I asked that because you know it's it's a yeah it's a, it's a it's a question that makes you more obtainable, I think, to people that are that are non-believers or even. Christians that are doubting their faith right now is that we're going to oh, have these, we're yeah. going to have these failings in life. We're going to have these things yeah. that come up, but what, you know, 
I'm looking at is is this point for me. This is this is the part of your story that I think I want to, to really be able to drive home is that it goes back to that. This is something that you have a calling to do and you're five, six years in and you're just beaten down by it. Yeah. And a lot of it, you could sit back and I'm sure say, because of this decision on my part, or I'm not doing it for the right reasons. And that's why I'm burnt out. But again, I come back to the point is, is that for people out there that are trying to start something, and they, they, they are fortunate enough to figure out what their passion is yeah. and what their talents are, and they try to utilize it. There are yeah. a lot of ways to fail at your passion. So don't buy into the, if you do what you're passionate about, you never work another day in your life because that's garbage. And I can tell you that there are two guys sitting here right now that have done what they're passionate about and have both either walked away or took a time out. Right. Yeah. And that's a very realistic expectation to have. It is not a failure. You know, if you're, if you, if you take a step back from something like that, or if you quit, I used to coach. I don't anymore. I have no desire to coach at all. Those, some of that stuff just changes. But in, and, and that is, that's a great point as well to make and that we, we do change so often um, as human beings over a course of time. And so, that has to be taken into consideration and understanding that, yeah, look, <laughs> you may right now be doing this or wanting to do this. You know, the biggest thing is, like we talked about early, is taking that first step. And even though we don't have the biggest picture or the full picture, it doesn't matter. You take the first step. That's intentional. Yep. Well, and you do have to be intentional with your steps. Otherwise, you do hit burnout. Well, here's the deal is like you things don't, greatness doesn't happen by accident. You don't have a great marriage by accident. You don't have a a successful business by accident. You don't have a strong relationship um, with God by accident. It all comes from being intentional. That's the thing. It's like, we we can't sit back and just hope that things become great. You know, that's not how that works. Um, you have to live intentionally to have those things. And so if you, if you haven't, and then, and not, I would, even if you are intentional on things, the, like especially in a relationship, it takes two. If you're intentional and, and she's not or he's not, then there's only so much you can do with that. But for sure. But you give it the best um, option when you are intentional with that. And, and so and that's, where, that's where people's why is so important. Because if you're, if you're in ministry or if you're in any other profession, knowing your why is the most important thing. And if your why isn't greater than your struggles, then you need to find a new why. Absolutely. Because that's like for you, I, I, just from hearing, having conversations with you last, this last week and stuff like that, you're, one of your greatest whys is your kid. Yeah. Right? It's like, it's like I'm going to fight through this stuff because I want to lead by example. I want to set an example. I want to leave a legacy for my son. And, and so that's some of our greatest whys. And that's what, that's what really kept me through all this stuff is really God reminding me what my why was, which was so much greater than myself. You know, um, I, I'm, 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 I'm in actual digital marketing now. I still do ministry. I'm actually um, um, preaching at different places and still doing different types of ministry inside the church. But right now, God's got me doing thing, ministry outside the church. And one of the things I'm doing right now is I, I started my own uh, business in digital marketing 
I just got through a digital marketing boot camp and everything like that. And that's what they also talked about that because you're going to have some rough days, but if your why is not bigger than your roughest day, then you'll never make it. Absolutely. And that's man, you know, I almost want to go in podcast, but that is such a huge point to make because for me, like you said already, my, my biggest driving force, there's two of them and they have names. Right. And so that's, that's simple. Right. I mean that, I mean, it should, I say that it's not Yeah. so many parents don't, they don't get it. And I, and I've posted about it. I've, I've, we've, you and I have talked about, about this and I actually had a great question last night from a friend of ours. Um, He said, you know, I would love, I would love to be on, on your podcast, but I don't have kids. So what do you talk to, what do you talk about with someone that doesn't have kids? It's like, I get that question because I do talk a lot about my children because they are my why, right? Yeah. They're my greatest why. And so everything else underneath that is a subtext because you are someone that I felt. And as I've told you is got a story that I think has, you know, needs to be shared. And I honestly, I don't see it being all shared within this one podcast. So basically what I'm saying is I hope that you're going to want to come back and we continue to dive into more of your story because there's a lot of meat with these potatoes, but you know, it's not about, this is not just about kids and how to parent kids and how to be a better role model for kids. It's about the overall it's, it's, it's just that my biggest why is them. Yeah. And, and that's how, you know, I haven't actually got to, to, to dive into that with this friend of ours, but um, I'm going to. Yeah. And so, you know, with you, you know, you're saying, okay, man, I started this church and I bet it was exciting. You were thrilled. Life seemed great. And now, you know, you, you fast forward a few years and you're like, oh my gosh, God, can I, can I get a break? Can I get a a substitution maybe? Because I'm tired. (laughs) This is not, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Right. Cause I just want to, I just want to bring people to you, but I, I don't get to just do that. I've got to deal with a board of people that they have their own ideas. Yeah. And they have well, their own, what they say is their beliefs or their faith and what they're hearing. Here, here's the coolest part about that. In, in the midst of that, that that's what I love about that. In, in second Timothy, God tells us like, when we're not faithful, he's still faithful. And that's what I love about this. That's exactly what happened with this ministry. Now, I, I, was, I was faithful to a degree, but I'm human, so there's human error and stuff like that within that too. Um, but in the midst, so behind the scenes, you got a pastor who, man, all he wants to do is just love people. That's all he wants to do. He, he's learning what it means to lead. He's learning what it means to be a senior pastor, to lead a board, um, to, to know all these ins and outs. Like, He's, he's still figured out. I tell people all the time, it's like half the time, I still don't even know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it, but I'm willing to at least do it. And I think that's something that God can use as someone that's willing, not just, they know how, you know? And so that behind the scenes, you've got almost chaos. Now it's good chaos because we're all passionate about doing our best to get to, to reaching out to people and loving them. Um, But we're struggling with it because we're, we're struggling with stuff. But that's behind the scenes. But what God's doing, it's almost like God's saying, hey, while you guys try to get your crap together, 
I'm still going to love people, you know, because what yeah. we saw, um, our church was in a community of 800 people, real small, real small. Um, you know, everyone does pre or post COVID or whatever, but we were on average still running about 60 to 70 people. Um, in, in the six years, cause there was like a year of like, um, just getting started before we actually launched the church and things like that. So in six years, we still saw 237 people. I still remember it from the day that I left 237 people give, raise their hands to give their life to Christ. That is not because Jeremy Cooley knew what he was doing. That was because God loved people more than Jeremy Cooley does. And even though I wasn't getting my stuff together, he was right. You know? And so that's the great thing about, um, that whole relationship when God calls you to do something that you can't do uh, is, is that when you're unfaithful, when you mess up and when you don't un fully understand, God's not going to be like, well, they're not going to learn about me unless you do something. He's going to be like, no, I'm still going to use you <laughs> to do this, you know? And that's what I love about uh, the whole thing. And so that's to what I was struggling and going through burnout and trying to figure out how to lead. Um, God was still using me through my imperfections to, to share his love with people. And I loved it. And I love every bit of it. And so I don't want to give this depiction of that. The six years was just miserable. Oh man, it was so exciting. It was so much fun. We saw, we saw so much transformation that people that went from that mindset of like, I'm not redeemable to being like, I can't believe God loves me. And I love it. You know, we saw marriages come together. <clears throat> we saw families come together. Um, we saw like I had one of our one of our kids pastors was um, was a person that when I first got there, people said, watch out for him because he's got a pack. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to watch out for him. I'm going to draw myself so close to him because I want to get to know this guy that everyone's afraid of. And you know what? Through through his growth and his maturity, he ended up stepping into our kids pastor and, and was amazing at it. He had more passion. He was one of my greatest leaders, honestly, one of my greatest leaders because he was just diving in. He, he understood that he didn't know. And he was just trying to grow uh, as a kid's pastor. What does this look like? How do I love these kids uh, in a way and teach, teach them about God's love at a level that they can understand? He went to conferences and conventions with me. And he, man, he was awesome. And I love that. And that came from somebody that I was warned about. That's, right. what, that, that's what God did. And so that was really cool about that. So, Yes, um, I was struggling, but our church wasn't necessarily like we it's right. not a perfect church. We we have our struggles. We're, we're still figuring stuff out. Um, but it was it was really cool. I mean, we had uh, we still talk about it as one of our greatest Sundays was we had a girl from the college um, give her life to Christ and get baptized. And then like the whole basketball team and the coaches all came to our, our little church and filled it up. And, and they came to watch her get baptized. Now we celebrate when we get baptized. We do it during worship. We throw, right. we, everyone cheers and celebrates and we love that. Um, all these basketball girls were like standing on chairs, taking pictures and stuff. And we're like, this is the best. Like we want every Sunday to be like this. We love it. Right. Um, and so, um, so yes, as I struggled, God didn't struggle. So that was the cool thing about it too. Yeah. Um, and then every moment that God did him, and we saw these little glimpses of what God was doing despite our mess ups. That was my why. I was like, you know, that's why I keep fighting. Yep. When this person raised their hand, that's why I keep fighting. <clears throat> when this person says that 
you know, they come in and with this mentality of, of like, I'm unredeemable. And then they find a relationship with Christ and they're like, that's, that's my why, you know? And yep. so my why is bigger than me. And, um, and that's what kept me going. You know, and that hits on the point of everything that this, this podcast and the blog and, and, and the direction that I'm hoping to go through the ways that I'm being led to try to impact is that you, as a leader, when you're put into that role, yeah, your bigger overall responsibility is the ability to hold on to the sight of that why. And then through that understanding, be able to show the actions to your followers or to the people around you that you're hoping to impact. But through those actions, you, you show them the why and they're able to pick it up as well. And leadership is, is being that example. Leadership is taking accountability for your shortcomings, for your mistakes. And, and, you know, we don't have to go out there and, you know, announce them to the world. But we can sure as sure as I'll be accountable for them and utilize them in our story for somebody else's story. Yeah. And maybe that's the next podcast we do together is all of Jeremy's mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can can go on. I go on with my own from now (laughs) until the end of time. But But that's that's the great thing about those mistakes, too, is that that God still uses those failures to to uh for other people you know like he talks about that romans eight twenty eight. in all things god works for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose like in all things he, god uses not just the good things in our lives to do good he'll even take the bad things in our life and do something good with them and i'm like dude that's stupid awesome and i was like uh, no and it is i mean you it, look i can tell you right now some of the most impactful conversations that i've had with another human being is when i tell them like look i made this mistake man Yeah, You might think that, well, I don't know what the perception is that I put out. I hope it's reputable. I hope it's something that makes, you know, other men around me who say, yeah, I follow that guy. Hope it makes my sons go, yeah, I respect my dad. He's, he's, he's my role model from a foundational standpoint. Yeah. But I can tell you this most impactful when I say, dude, I screw up constantly. And I always yeah. will. And, and there's not a single person out there that doesn't. So with that, there's a segue because there's there are some there are some things here, some questions here that I <clears throat> I've been I'm, I'm excited to, to get your thoughts on. Yeah. And then we're going to uh, we're going to wrap this one up. But look, in today's age, technology is a huge deal. Yeah. Everybody's using it. Churches, non-church, secular, you know, everybody's using it. If they're smart, I use it. You use it. How do you feel that technology has impacted churches and how, how you put out the message of Christ? And then you got to tell me about your thoughts on mega churches, people like Joel Olstein. Um, I'm going to blank on his name, Stephen Furtick, right? Stephen Furtick. Yeah. Yep. What are your thoughts on that? Give it to well, me. Well, with technology, it's just like anything else, it's a tool. And it's, again, goes back to being intentional with, with the technology. We have the, we have the ability to do something great with it. 
and something evil with it. <clears throat> and uh, obviously to go to the extreme opposites, the internet is used, we use the internet to, like Life Church with the YouVersion Bible app. They are making such profound um, leaps in, in getting the gospel um, out to more parts of the world in, in, in more languages than anybody has ever before. Um, incredible. So using the internet and technology for that is just amazing. But then obviously the internet's used to destroy like with pornography and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's, it's how you use it. And, and just with social media alone, we'll just go there because uh, yeah, it's, it's easy to fall into that trap of getting sucked in and, and a time waster and, and using it for a false sense of security, you know, because you get those dopamines when someone likes your post or something like that, you know, it's this craze. But, and I've had a lot of people that are like, you know what, I got to, I need a break. I need a break from social media and stuff. And I don't think that's unhealthy at all. I think that if it's, if it's, if it's causing um, destruction in, in, in any part of your life, dude, it's not worth it. Take a break. Right. But the one thing that I have um, now, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not, I'm human. So I'm on there a lot and I'm taking some selfies and whatever, you know, that kind of biz. But I've been very, very intentional about my social media. Look at it. Look, I, like my social media, if you look through it, my, at least from my perspective, you look through that, it's going to show you basically two things. It's going to share my family life with you because I love my family. I love my nieces and my nephews and I love living life with them. And I want to share that just because I want to be, you know, be transparent. So people like you that we've kind of grown apart that can kind of get a glimpse into my life. Right. But the other thing that I'm a hundred percent more intentional about is I want people to know God's love. And so everything that you see, like I won't have one political post. I will not have one political post. And that does not mean I don't have a political conviction. I do. But the reason I don't have a political post, I will never preach on politics. I'll never speak on politics. Me personally, I'm not talking about other people. Me personally, because if the moment I say Democrat, I've lost the Republicans. The moment I say Republican, I've lost the Democrats. And I could care less about that. I care more about everybody knowing that God loves them and that he has a purpose for him. That's, that's what I care most about. So I'm not going to say anything intentionally that's going to cut anybody out, you know, and right. I, and I, and I share God's, and I, I believe I share God's love in a way that even someone that doesn't believe what I believe um, is drawn to it, you know? And so sure. I'm very intentional with social media. So not to say that I'm not impervious to getting sucked into the trap. I am, but so that's what I believe about technology. It's, it's a tool and it's up to the person to decide whether they're going to use it for good or for bad. So, yeah, absolutely. And I, I will say another podcast would be <clears throat> more specific in the use of technology, but also in the, in the, the mindset of the opportunity to debunk Christianity is at an all time high with the information yeah. that people are putting out with the different ways people can look to, to find this different information. And, and, and then today's society, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to say, well, I believe just because, um, Oh that, yeah, that game has changed. So that said, 
you shouldn't believe just because. I mean, hopefully right. there's some more depth to it. Now, right. pe people getting started believe just because, but that's the whole faith process, you growing in your faith. Well, this was what got me started, but now I'm learning why, you know. Caleb Steele, you, you, you know. Yeah. And I, I hope I don't butcher this, but <laughs> he said, my faith is leaving in something that I have reason to believe in, I believe is how he quoted that. And basically what he's saying is, is that I have my faith and I believe in Christ because no, I cannot see God directly in front of me. Like I could, if you and I were in the same room, Yeah. but there's X, Y, and Z reasons behind why I do. Yeah. And I, and, and if Caleb ever listened to this, I don't know that he would, but extremely intelligent extremely intelligent guy wonderful guy um he's he's one of the smartest dudes i know and he really applies you know in, intelligence behind his faith i was gonna yeah. say scientific but that's not the case and i i don't want to speak for him um that said you know the the mega churches are something that people really get upset about Joel Olstein has caught a lot of flack. The Stephen Furtick's, uh, some of these other guys out there that are literally making millions. I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, I really don't. I mean, <laughs> why am I going to be upset with somebody for really excelling in their profession? Right. Because a lot of these guys, you know, I don't think they're making their millions necessarily directly off the church. A lot of it is their books and their podcasts and their websites and probably merchandising and or even yeah different investments they have different investments right that they have it's not necessarily just the church goer uh, yeah. you know putting into the offering every wednesday and sunday you know um but what are your thoughts behind these Ooh. mega churches and 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 whether or not a pastor should be making millions for for spreading the word of god okay just to start off, my thoughts um, are still imperfect thoughts. So I'll just start off with that. But my, with my personal opinions and thoughts like that, it's like, um, one, I don't know these guys. Like, I know who they are. Like, I, I actually have been influenced by these guys sure. in, in, in some way or another. Um, I, one, literally, like, when, back when the big craze was to put your, your – um, celebrity counterpart face on your social media on Facebook or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I had, I had somebody else. Of course I had someone like, you know, something ridiculous like Brad Pitt. I was like, Oh yeah, I look like this guy. They're like, no, that's not him. <laughs> and so every, everybody's every single person was like, Joel Osteen, you both smile like crazy. And I was like, okay. So I, you know, my, my excitement, my enthusiasm reflects with Joel. And so um, now I don't, I don't follow after him too much, but I've listened to some of his stuff um, because it has been some controversial uh, with whether it's his theology or his preaching or maybe his lifestyle. Mm. And, and I, I'll say this too, like, I'm not a, like, I don't, I try to live my life not saying things that God didn't say. Right. If God, God's told me that from like, you know, at least seven, eight years ago, it was like, if I didn't say it, you don't get to say it. And I was like, that's, it's good to live by. Now I struggle with that, but I still try to live by that. And so God never said that making, finding success is wrong. It's not a sin. It's not a sin to be successful. Again, money's a tool. It's how you use it. 
You know, it, the Bible does say the love of money is the root of all evil. But just because you have money doesn't mean that's your love. Right. It's, it's just a tool. And so I, I'm not afraid. Like, God, what father doesn't want to see their kids succeed? And there's a lot of different right. views on success. Monetary success is not the only view of success. It's sometimes yeah, it's not even yeah, sometimes it's not even considered success because when a dad fights for the promotion and spends so much time at work to get more money, but has no relationship with his wife or kids, is that success? No. Right. You know, so there's different views on that. So yeah, I, I don't, I'm fine with pastors making money, but the thing is, is I don't know those pastors intimately enough to know their heart. Right. Again, man looks on the outward appearance, but God knows the heart. And so I can look at Joel and I can look at some of these televangelists that I do kind of have a judgment, you know, like I said, we're not perfect. We do kind of have this judgment like, uh, are you really, do you really need three different jets? You know? <laughs> I mean, I, it's, it's easy to do that, but right. it is, you know, and that's, and that's not my responsibility. That's the thing. It's not my response. God didn't say, Jeremy, I need you to police the world. And I need you to, to, to make sure every believer is doing what they're supposed to do. Go to these pastors and say, you don't need three jets. Just fly, you know, you know, whatever class, you know. And so I'm like, one, that's not my responsibility. And so I, I, so I try to stray away from that stuff. But, um, but I have, like I said, I have been influenced by Joel. I listened to some of his interviews um, um, intentionally, again, because of these controversial things. I'm like, okay, well, let me. Let me hear because someone may ask me one day, what do you think? You know, and so I, I listen to sermons. I listen to now, not enough to make an overall judgment again, but from what I heard, God's using him. Now, God used me at my worst, too. So when I'm not perfect, God still uses me. So that's that's still a, I don't know his heart. But from what I heard, he's doing a lot to help people. And, and a lot of his messages, they say, are um one-sided it's all about love and not about the condemnation i was like he he's from from what i've seen i'll say that from what i've seen i haven't heard him come out and say half the bible is true the love half is true but the condemnation side is is not true like i've never heard him say that right now his messages and i heard him actually speak an interview on this topic because someone said all you do is preach this side you know you don't really talk about the condemnation he goes, that's all I was told to, to talk about. Now, he doesn't shy away from the Bible. He uses the whole Bible as truth. So the, the, harder, the harder topics to talk about, um, he, his main ministry, though, is letting people know that they're loved and that they're valued and that God desires them and that there's hope in Christ. That's what he said. That's, a, you know, that's not a direct quote, but that's what he was saying. Sure. And I was like, it's like, that's the message God told us to do. Go out and make disciples. Now, there's a training process, and I'm sure that the church has those things too. But, and um, so I, I don't have anything wrong with that because if, if God can use people that don't love him to do something for him, like Pharaoh. Pharaoh hated God. His heart, his heart was hardened um, by his own choice, and then God finished it off. But God still used to, to accomplish his will. So if God can use people that love him and the people that don't love him to do something, then that's, that's God's prerogative. And so right. if God wants to use a false prophet, let's just say to, yeah, like, yeah, he's, he's, he's stealing money. 
he's sleeping with the secretary or whatever. Now, obviously, this stuff is horrible, and I don't believe that that's nothing that God desires at all. I know that. <laughs> but, right. but if you still speak in truth, then there's still truth being spoken. I'll say this too, like uh, Bill Hyples, he was, a, he was a church of what people might consider a mega church. Um, I, I actually read, I, I actually got a lot of my leadership stuff from one of his books, Axioms. Um, now he had a moral failure and had to step down from church ministry. And so people are like, push him away. And I'm like, I get it. But that doesn't mean the truth that he spoke was wrong, you know? And so even in someone that's got some failures in their life, doesn't mean that it's all, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. Now I wouldn't say, yeah, stay in leadership if someone had that kind of a moral failure. But so, but, but with Joel Osteen and even Stephen Furtick, some people stray with him. Like in my earlier day, in his earlier days, I checked with him. Like I, I loved his, I was drawn to like his excitement, his passion. Yeah. He's enthusiastic. Uh, yes. And that's, well, that's me too. And so I love that. Yep. And I, and I love in the content too. And, um, and, but I loved the most about it was his ministry was the same ministry that I was doing is to reach out to those outside the church, right. you know? And so, and I love that. Now, is he a perfect guy? No, but I don't, I don't know everything about him either to, to make that kind of a judgment, you know, to, to say for fact, this is right, how he's doing it's wrong or whatever. For sure. Uh, now, if he's got money, like that was the whole thing he bought. He, he built this huge house and stuff like that. And, and honestly, pastors need a retreat, you know, and if his retreats, his house to get away from everything, then okay. My, yeah. My and I think there's a, there's a line that <clears throat> people don't seem to understand that just because you go into ministry doesn't mean that you're supposed to live a life in poverty. Yeah. Again, it, it goes back to what you're saying. So a hundred percent agree. And I, and I, I honestly, whether you took the same stance as I do or not is, is, is irrelevant. I'm actually kind of glad that you agree that, Hey, look, if you can be successful in a monetary standpoint or from a monetary standpoint as a, as a pastor that look, there's nothing wrong with that. Now you hit on some of the, you know, if there's some moral issues that take place. Okay. Yeah. That's going to get you, especially on such a stage, it's going to get you. And, you know, I can say, look, I don't agree with it. Like, look, embrace, those mistakes and and let's go from there it shouldn't be the end of somebody's career dependent obviously upon those mistakes yeah. now that said in closing what is what is your message that you would want to give you know and obviously you'd be like oh i've got so many you know sermons or whatever but the, the a, a quick snip snippet of your message that listeners right now if they stayed with us what you would have them take away from listening to you today, from this podcast today, what would be the message that you hope in all of this great stuff? Cause there's great stuff in here and we've covered some, some good topics. What would be that message that you would want them to, to take away from this? Man, the greatest thing that I would love to have anybody take away from this um, Obviously, there's a spiritual aspect to it, too, but it's just if you man, if you are just wandering around in your life, you got to stop, man. And you got to stop and ask, how can I be an intentional? That's the first step is just is doing everything that you're doing on purpose, like be intentional for it. But 
man, like that's such a vague thing too, man. I want people to know that God absolutely loves them where they're at. Um, not for what they can offer. Um, I want people to figure out what their why is like, maybe ask that question. That's the biggest struggle I see in even churches, which it, it, it just shows that there's that imperfection in that side of life too. It's just, we don't ask why like, well, this is how I've always done it. Well, why? So that's, that's the greatest starting point is like, okay, in my life, why do I do what I do? You know? And so asking yeah. why being intentional, um, I think those are great steps to anybody inside or outside the faith. Um, it's just asking why. That's brilliant, man. Well, listen, I've really enjoyed this podcast, this conversation, and I really feel like this is going to be one that I think people grab onto. And I got to tell you, you know, I love it. I love you as a human being and, and as the, the friend that you've always been to me. And I appreciate you taking your time on a Saturday morning, bright <laughs> early to sit and chop these things up with me. Guys, Jeremy Cooley at Jeremy Cooley on Instagram. <clears throat> he is on Facebook under the same thing. Look, if there are any questions that you have that have have grown from this podcast today, please reach out to me. Please reach out to Jeremy. He's a great mechanism to any of those questions that you have from a spiritual standpoint. And as I said at the very beginning, I will do my best to point you in the right direction. I will do my best to listen to questions, to answer them as responsibly and as clearly as possible, whether it's secular, whether it's religious or not. But this is navigating the intentional life. That word is used a lot, intentional. And if you're listening, I hope that the biggest thing that you can take away from today, one of the biggest things is that you find that first step to intent, with intent. And that you start the process in your own life where you know that today mattered and that tomorrow's going to be even better for it. So what I'll say in closing is, is do us a favor. If you want us to continue to be able to put out this content, write a review, rate this podcast, let us know about it, share it on your social media, tag me in it at JL Copeland 82 on Instagram, Justin Copeland on Facebook and share that. You can find this podcast. If you're listening to it now, you've found one of the platforms Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, Anchor, and Pocket Casts. Share that with your friends and family. Let us know. Let me know. Share the pictures as you have been, you know, as you're driving in your car or as you're at the, at the office or, you know, uh, at the gym. Let us know. We want to continue to spread these messages. We want to continue to have men and women like uh, Jeremy on the show on the podcast to share their stories and continue to put a message out that is going to hopefully inspire, provide hope and, and give direction. Jeremy, my man, thank you so much. Absolutely. Justin, man, it has been an honor and a blessing. Absolutely. Brother guys. Now life, this is episode four. You all take care. <laughs>